Live at the Golden Circle Sports Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, 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 partying. Yeah. <laughs> JVT, Adam Hill, live here at Golden Circle. That's inside TI, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. I feel like we're not ready to go if you don't give a... I, I don't, yeah! It, that's Steve Cofield's job. So Steve Cofield is not here physically. He's actually out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, because, of course, the Run Rebels have a matchup with New Mexico coming up this weekend. Uh, Steve, I apologize because I did not give the enthusiastic yeah that you generally do at this time. But I feel like that's your bit, and I don't want to steal it. I'm sure he was doing Thank it in you. the room. Yeah. Yeah. Very respectful. Yeah! All right. There you go. It's also kind of an awkward situation because uh, I am leading today, and Steve is here, though. So it's kind of like a, uh, I'm stealing the car who's for a little here? bit of a joyride. He's here, but he's not here. Right. It's like, who's on first? Yeah. It's actually it's a lot better start to the show today than it was yesterday because oh my mic didn't work, and I had to awkwardly introduce the show. And I was so distracted by Steve, like, trying to get his mic fixed that, Adam, my intro was just like, uh, yeah, it's here. I'm John. Um, Steve's going to be here shortly. So Sorry, you, haven't, you haven't done much radio. I get it. Yeah. I don't, dude, yeah, you're right, because I don't know why I was thrown off so bad by it, but it was bad. It was one of the Actually, I can say, I think it was the worst intro to a show that I've ever had. Wow. That's saying quite a lot. John's, uh, John's been made soft by VEASAN. Come on. What do you mean? What does that mean? Technical issues. Come on, it's Lotus technical issues. You, you have to be ready all the time. Nothing oh, against Lotus. We love this place, but you know you've you've, you've on every show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's very true. Although, well, no, I'm not going to give the dirty laundry out of Eason. Yes, that's right. We're a perfectly well-oiled machine. Nothing, <laughs> yes, ever, nothing, great. nothing ever goes wrong. Uh, there's no anger or rage or fury on my end uh, in any way whatsoever. Although on social media, it is a little bit of a different oh, thing. Oh man. So. <laughs> This has been one of, I think, the more like interesting ripple effects coming from the DeMar Hamlin um, situation that transpired on Monday night, right? Which is social media coming after folks for not reading the room. So, for example, <laughs> I don't know. So, for example, I'll give you an example of what I went through. So, on Monday, I write about the NBA. I cover the NBA for VSIN. So, on Monday, while all that was happening, Donovan Mitchell was scoring 71 points in a ridiculous comeback against the Chicago Bulls. So I tweeted out what Donovan Mitchell was doing, and I got a whole bunch of, like, read the room. It's not the time for that. I'm like, okay, sorry. I actually didn't realize what was happening, but, you know, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> wasn't tweeting about it. You know, I had it on the secondary screen. wasn't really paying attention. So we have all of these things, right? You're not allowed to tweet about certain things. So we have what happens today. The Buffalo Bills officially put DeMar Hamlin on injured reserve. Adam Uh-oh. Schefter, right, whose job it is to report on these transactions, tweets out, Unthinkable. Bills have placed DeMar Hamlin on IR. He didn't say unthinkable. You're saying it's unthinkable. Oh, oh right. It's un- committed <laughs> such a travesty. What Twitter has done with him now? Just going oh, no. after him. Oh, have you seen this, Steve? It's, it's all. It, it's, it's gross. It's how can you tweet this? We know. You don't need to say this. It is ridiculous, especially because the Buffalo Bills official Twitter account also tweeted out that DeMar Hamlin has been placed on IR. Insensitive. Insensitive. It, it's really it's preposterous. Look, it's a it's a 
thing that they have to do. It's a procedural thing. This is just a fact. There's nothing to it. By the way, there was also people that overacted the other way that said, oh, if they're putting him on IR, that means he's coming back. Like, <laughs> oh, what? Like, no, he's just reporting the transaction. That's it. That's all. Don't get irate. Don't get outraged. You don't have to get mad about everything. But I guess you do. That's, how, that's where we are. Ian Rappaport also tweeted it out. And it's funny because... The horror! Right. you got a whole bunch of people like, look at these clowns. Insensitive. Like, it's what they do. If you type in Adam Schefter and IR, right, like a thousand tweets will pop up in Twitter. I, I have to go look. I imagine that Sean McDermott probably said at his presser today that they were putting him on IR. Oh, how could he? Were, were people calling him insensitive? <laughs> is he allowed to do that? I mean, this is, this is silly, what we've reached. It really is. It, it, and, and look, because and, I'm very much... Like, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm a little woke, Adam, if sure. you will. Like, this kind of stuff is really ridiculous. And part of, like, the, the quick nature of trying to jump on people for any little thing. I also saw, by the way, there were some people. This is the great part about it. There were some people that put, well, he didn't put the corresponding move. That's what makes it insensitive. Okay. Does it? That's <laughs> what, what really, are we doing? That was your issue? <laughs> by the way, I, I'll use this to, to segue to what the other thing we're going to talk about. I think you're guilty of this, too. Oh, we'll talk about that. You're talking about the Skip yeah. Bayless thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was right. Wait, 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 wait. No, let, let's go back to Tuesday when Adam was on. Adam, do you remember me shooting you a look multiple times in our 4 o'clock hour? Yeah. Because because you did this on the air. No, no, no. You, you, kept, you, 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 kept saying, you kept saying, of well, course. we know about DeMar Hamlin and we're rooting for I'm, I'm like, we're not doing that today. No, it, but it, I also. Shows, shows that feel guilty about themselves. We're doing a sports talk show today that's going to cover DeMar Hamlin, but we're not apologizing for what we're doing. And I shot you a look because you did it like three times, and I was to the point where I was going to be like, dude, leave. Yeah, but that's different because that is just to make sure that if somebody's playing the audio that they can't isolate it. That's the only reason that you do oh, that. Stop. But, the, but, the, but I also said Tuesday. I also said on Tuesday, Skip Bayless was right. He was right. Just wait for later in the week. We're all going to see that Skip Bayless was right. And Go he ahead, was. Woke JBT. Well, I don't think he was. But I don't, actually, of course he was. Well, here's the thing. I don't think he was wrong or right. So I, we brought this up yesterday when you weren't here. My point about Skip Bayless and what I brought up to Steve, which I don't think that you or Steve really brought up, is you could talk about the last sentence of the tweet, right, which, which all seems right, irrelevant now or whatever phrase he used, right, when he was talking about the rescheduling of the game. My whole point with Skip Bayless is he has built his entire career on being a guy who bashes athletes, who treats them a lot of times as less than human. Remember the Dak Prescott thing? His brother passes away. He talked about how depressed he was. He goes on a show and says, you're quarterback of Dallas Cowboys. Can't be doing that, right? He's built his whole career on this thing, right? So then maybe in one instance he actually is being genuine. Nobody's going to believe it. And so well, you could talk about the comprehension of the tweet itself. I even responded to somebody. He said, oh, I read it. I understood what he was saying. But he does not get the benefit of the doubt because he has built the persona of someone who is insincere and does not care about athletes. So why would anybody, when they see a tweet about that and follows it up with what he tries to be nuanced, why would anybody believe he's being sincere? Well, sincere or not, he was right at the time, and he's right now. Like, it- right, but I'm talking about the taking the tweet the way that it was and people getting upset about it. I don't think you and Steve, and I told that Steve yesterday, like took in that aspect of it, which is people don't think Skip Bayless is sincere. Thus, people are going to take that tweet the way that they did. Okay, I mean, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna take that into it, but his his literal tweet, 
at the time was correct. And I, I, I thought about it. And just like you're saying here, I was with some other reporters when, when Skip Bayless sent his tweet out. And they were like, oh, wow, what a mistake. And I said, no, it's not. He's right. I want to support him on Twitter. But I, I, know, that what's, I know what's coming. And I know that I'm sure my bosses would say the same thing mm-hmm. of why did you do this? Why did you support it? This was not the time. Fine. But he was right. And now he's been proven right. And anybody that says that he wasn't right and now, now he has been so beyond proven right that you, I, I guess if you guys were all mad and now you, you've fallen into it or I don't know what, but he, this is exactly what he meant. This, of course, being that the NFL has approved a plan for possible neutral site AFC championship game. Uh, there's a bunch of scenarios that we'll go over. Stanford Route's going to join us uh, on the other side. We'll talk about all of those scenarios, but it involves neutral site AFC title games. Given certain scenarios, certain teams have been eliminated from winning certain seeds because of what the NFL is going to do. So we'll get to that. We'll hit on those topics when we come back here. It's Cofield and Company live from Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar and TI. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company is live from Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar at TI. So if you're in the area, come on down, say what's up. That shirt's another goodies for you, and you can just uh, give Adam a hug. He really enjoys those sort of things. Let's talk a little football. Stanford route, former corner, longtime corner for the – Oakland Raiders, host of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Dennis Ackerman is co-host each week. Stanford, it's good to talk to you. So uh, we were setting up this. We get the news today. The NFL has approved a plan for possible neutral site AFC championship games. I do want to set it up really quickly for our listeners out there. So the scenarios, week 18 results were approved for holding AFC title games on neutral field. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie, Bill's Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Baltimore wins, a Bills-Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins, a Bills or Bengals versus the Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. Stanford, your initial thoughts when you saw that come down and the possibility of this being held at a neutral site? Oh, man, you know, obviously with the uh, with, with what we saw happen Monday night, um, that's something that obviously is going to take precedent or should I say unprecedented within the NFL. And anytime you now have a game being canceled, thus now making a huge, uh, a huge modification to the percentage standings and things like that, you're going to have these types of situations. So I really don't have any issues with what the NFL is doing. They're in a situation where they don't really have another choice. So uh, they're trying to go ahead and move with this uh, swiftly and as fairly as they can and I don't really see there being a better um, option or solution uh, for what they have so far. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the one argument that I've heard people make is, hey, you had a rule in place. There is a rule that governs this, and the league decided not to enforce that rule. And people said, well, if you're just going to start changing rules when you want to, this opens the door for that. You, I feel like maybe it's a extreme enough case uh, that we don't have to worry about that. But is that kind of where you are, too, that, hey, this is not going to happen? Hopefully this never happens again. Uh, we can we can forget about just enforcing a rule and just do whatever we have to do in this case. Well, for one, we all hope that this sort of thing of never course. happens again. Uh, as far as the as far as there being a rule in place, I was not aware that there was a rule in place for a situation like this where a game winds up being canceled and it's not postponed or it's not replayed or something like that. So, you know, right now we're dealing with with uncharted territories, obviously. So, um, for the NFL. 
I choose to believe they have their reasons as to why they did not go back to the rule that was in place as far as how to remedy this type of situation. And, you know, for a lot of the fans that are pushing back, that have their own issues, that, you know, like this whole thing just happened and sprung on everybody Monday night, just four days ago. So right now, the NFL, the owners having that meeting, like everybody is reeling right now. Obviously, you are so pleased to know that Hamlin is now doing much better than he was doing on Monday night. Obviously, now the ventilator is off. He's able to go ahead and be able to have minor communication with his teammates, with his loved ones. So that's the main thing. As far as everything else, even with it being in a neutral site, being in Kansas City, being in Cincinnati, being in Buffalo potentially, it still comes down to football. You're still going to have to win the game versus your opponent if you're in the AFC title game. So right now, as far as everything I can see, I don't have any major issues with what the NFL is doing right now. Adam, what is the rule that you're referencing? So because the rule is if a game is canceled like this and it's a no contest, it would go by win percentage. And the reason that they're not doing this is because that would mean Kansas City would win and get the one seed. Kansas City would play at home. And the league looked at that as potentially punishing Buffalo for what happened. So they're not yeah. letting Kansas City have a home game. But that is the rule. And I think it's tough for Kansas City to come out and, and argue and say, hey, what are you doing? Because you don't want to be looked at as insensitive. But they are getting robbed of a home game in the AFC Championship game here. True, they are. But the thing is that with that rule being in place, that if a game is canceled, and I think where the nuance comes in as to why this game sure on Monday night was canceled. And for that right there, it's like you don't want to punish Buffalo for simply having one of their players have such a horrific and freak accident, which is pretty much kind of like a perfect storm as far as how everything went down. And then at the same time, you don't want to punish Cincinnati because they weren't able to go ahead and conclude or should I say finish the game. So there's so many different parameters. This is a situation for Roger Goodell that he just simply hopes that, hey, man, we're going to go ahead and try to figure out this thing the best way we know how, and hopefully we don't have to worry about this again in the future. I want to to talk about the the important things being being Hamlin, of course, but we are obviously reacting to all this news that's going on. And and my other thought on this was it sounds like Allegiant Stadium is a candidate to host the AFC Championship game. Would you be okay with Allegiant Stadium hosting an AFC Championship game that doesn't involve the Raiders? I mean, why wouldn't I? Like, I mean, right now, the way the Raiders are presently assembled, that's the closest <laughs> we're going to get to actually being able to enjoy a playoff game or a, an AFC title game for, you know, uh, right now for the month of January or should I say early February. So, yeah, so I, I don't have any um, any issue with that. And then if you're a Raiders player – hey, maybe if you are in the playoffs, maybe if your team is doing better, then you don't have to worry about your team possibly being optioned off as a potential neutral site. So, uh, no, I, I, don't have, um, I don't have any qualms about that at all. So, Stanford, I'm, I'm really curious as we kind of move, as Adam mentioned, to talk about you know, the other aspect of this. You know, from a former player standpoint, what were your reaction watching what happened on Monday in, in such, what seemed like such a routine play, right? Like we see guys like that get in interactions like that all the time, and yet this is what transpires from it. As a former defensive player and watching what happened, what was your reaction as a football player That's what seemed like such a normal play ultimately ended up with this? You know, it just it just goes to show that we play a, an aggressive game. We play a violent game. And how a few of the trainers that I've talked to this week, and just a few uh, people within the medical staff, how this situation could have happened to anybody. It's just a matter of a perfect storm where if you take a certain – 
force a certain amount of trauma straight to the chest. And it hits your it hits your sternum, it hits your chest right at the correct millisecond, right after your heart is beating, then you could potentially have this type of situation uh, going into cardiac arrest, just like uh, what happened to Hamlin on Monday night. And the beautiful thing about it is how it forced so many people to now see players as human, because. You see somebody laying on the ground. I don't care if you're white, black, pink, green. I don't care what team you're rooting for. I don't care what your religion is. You don't want to see somebody laying on the ground needing CPR, needing to be resuscitated. And so it just puts everything into perspective. It resonates with everyone how, at the end of the day, players are still human at the end of the day. This ain't about he's a man. It's not about she's a woman. It's not about any of that. It's that that's a human being that potentially could have left all of us on Monday night. And by the grace of God, by the training staff doing a great job, the medical staff doing a fantastic job of getting down there and being able to resuscitate him in a timely manner, it just it's something that it really brings a smile to your face because a tragedy was avoided. A tragedy was thwarted on Monday night, and hopefully this winds up being a triumphant story rather than a tragic one. So it just it really puts everything into perspective. I'm very interested to know, and this is, of course, Stanford Route, good friend of the show and former Raider, uh, joining us with some great perspective on a lot of things around football, but certainly on this situation. Um, talked to a lot of players this weekend. I, I will say a lot of the, the conversations I had this week in the locker room were just off the record, just conversations, just talk. Um, see how guys are doing and, and try to you know gather information on how everybody's feeling this week. And every, everybody handles these things differently, right? Some guys said, yeah. some yeah. guys were like, hey, it makes me want to play harder. Just like we heard Mike Evans say it publicly, but some guys said, you never know when your last play is going to be. You have to go all out. And some guys were expressed uneasiness about taking the field this week, yeah. um, being honest. So I, I guess there's no right way to handle this, but how do you? how would you be able to go and play a football game after watching that? I'm not going to lie to you, it would be tough because it simply puts everything into perspective of how we're mere mortals out here. You know, players, you, they walk around here with perfect bodies looking like a Greek Adonis, and, you know, they have chiseled they have chiseled muscles. You're walking around, you got a helmet, you got shoulder pads on, you look like a gladiator from, you know, way back in ancient times. And all it takes is force at the right angle, at the right millisecond, and you could easily be laying right there on that football field. And there's no amount of weight, there's no amount of wind sprints, there's no amount of training that you can do to avoid that type of uh, that type of situation. And so, yeah, it definitely does put you in a tailspin mentally because some guys, like I said, they want to go play harder because you know what? You never know when it may be your last play. Other guys, it now puts things into perspective of, wait a minute, do I really want to go out there and risk that happening to me? I got a wife and kids at home. I got a mother and father that love me dearly. Do I want to put myself in that situation? Do I want to start thinking about life after football? Do I want my kids to grow up without a father? You start thinking about everything in totality going through your mind, and that's where some of those players that now are starting to be a little skittish about going out there, that's what they're thinking. So to your point, there is no right way to – absorb all this and to deal with all this, but it makes you go through a myriad of emotions simply because of what your eyes cannot, what you can't unsee that we all saw just 96 hours ago. 
Stanford, you, you mentioned something that I think is a really interesting angle that comes out of this. Do you think that people, that the view of players, right, that they are human, do you think that sustains itself? Do you think people actually kind of come down a little bit from the mad sports fandom? Or do you think that this is just a, hey, in the days leading up to, like, after this, yeah, of course, we're going to be more humane when it comes to interactions with players. But by the time next football season comes around, people are going to just do the exact same thing they've been doing and dehumanizing these guys. I would probably say the latter. Well, by the time next football season comes around, you're probably going to see a lot more, oh, once again, people dehumanizing players just because that's the way it's pretty much been all throughout time. That It's been that all throughout history because players, they get put on a pedestal. You know, if something happens and you do something wrong, it goes across the bottom line on ESPN or whatever news outlet. If it's Joe Blow that does something getting arrested, nobody says anything. That's not front page of the newspaper. It's not on the front page or it's not on the very beginning of any of the uh, uh, TV shows or sports shows or anything like that. So players are treated differently. They're placed on a higher pedestal. They get paid a lot more money. Their voice, their platform holds a lot more weight. So fans look at players as not human. They look at them like cartoon characters. So I don't think that this is the situation where everybody is going to automatically now start to humanize players. I think that this is going to sustain itself for a nice period of time. But once we get back to next September and the 2023 season is about to kick off, most fans are going to go right back to the status quo of how they always have been. Stanford route, longtime Oakland Raider, and of course host of the Believe in Raiders podcast. Let's talk about those Raiders. What do you think you get from uh, the Las Vegas Raiders in terms of motivation, in terms of level of play this weekend against Kansas City with uh, pride and the ability to ruin a season? Not ruin a season, but put a, you know, kind of wrinkle, put a wrinkle in the season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, you know, I was very impressed by the way they played last week, especially uh, with Jared Stidham obviously showing how he is well aware. He's well oriented in Josh McDaniel's scheme, and it shows. He made some really good throws, made some throws, and obviously showing the confidence in his arm and some of those throws that he had in tight windows. The defense obviously has to try to do something differently and not blow another double-digit lead like they've done five times this year, breaking an NFL record for crying out loud. Um, but I think that uh, you have the potential to see the, the Raiders come out, I believe, in the first half. If they put up a good fight and it's a close game, then you'll see them go ahead and finish strong. If Kansas City steps on their neck early on, then you might then see them go ahead and tank it. I would love to see Josh Jacobs wind up with the rushing title after this season. I would much, I would definitely love to see Jared Stidham continue with some of the positive plays that he had last week against the 49ers going into this week with the Kansas City Chiefs. And just a defense that actually is going to protect the lead, or should I say maintain a lead. Those are the three things that I really want to see out of the black and silver this weekend. Uh, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Stidham. Who do you want to be the week one quarterback for the Raiders? Oh, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, or Jared Stidham. I would probably have to go with um, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, 1A, 1B. I would go ahead and I would probably put Jared Stidham as uh, the second one, and then Jimmy Garoppolo was number three just because Jimmy G, we all know that he's been injury-prone for a long time. But as far as right now, if they can protect Tom Brady – um, I would like to see him in a uh, black and silver uniform. But for Tom Brady, for his sake, 
I want to see Tom Brady go back to New England because that's where he had the most success. And I think Tom Brady right now is yearning for that structure, that discipline, which propelled him to being the greatest player ever from his days in New England. All right, so he's not coming to Vegas then. Cool. Stanford, <laughs> Stanford, good to talk to you, man. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Man, you guys be safe. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you got it, man. Have a good weekend. Host of the Believe in Raiders podcast with Dennis Ackerman each week. We'll take our break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Adam and Steve a, an etiquette question. My wife was in the middle of a brouhaha in a drive through <laughs> the surprising. other day. Uh, it wasn't her, though. Somebody came to her defense, a stranger. It was, uh, it was quite the exchange. I'll tell you about it. to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Golden Circle is the spot. Remember, weekend breakfast spot as well. Serve Saturday and Sunday, 9.30 a.m. to noon. All items, 16 bucks each. Chorizo con papas, breakfast bowl. Sounds great. Diced potatoes, peppers, and onions grilled with savory chorizo sausage topped with cheddar jack cheese, two fried eggs, plenty of other options for you. Ooh, chicken chilaquiles. And weekend drink specials like bottomless mimosas for $25, $24 per person. Check it out again. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar at TI. Steve Cofield is out in Albuquerque where uh, Jeff Graham is going to join us momentarily. So there's a um, there's the spot with the dual drive throughs Adam. Sure. Right? Where, you know, it's anarchy at times. It's kind of similar to their arches. Yeah. There's right. two of them, and then there's two drive through spots. You order, you go. Next person orders, you go. It's a pretty even thing. Guess, guessing it's close to the Ikea. Is that yours? Uh, that your yeah. Yeah, right okay, there. Yep, yep. So my wife was um, at a dual drive through Okay. And ordered. Went Wait, to go. Let me. Can I go full Cofield? Your wife was at a drive through Was it Taco Bell or Del Taco? No, no it was not. It was, it was Roberto's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> For those who don't know, my wife is uh, Mexican, and that's kind of like a racist joke, but that's fine. It's funny. Um, so. <laughs> it was Steve's joke, not mine. I was right. just exciting. And my grandmother's from Durango, Mexico. I'm allowed to laugh at it. Um, so she got cut off by somebody who ordered after her. Okay? My wife oh, is yeah. my wife's really timid. She's like Adam Hill. Like, if there's a confrontation, she probably won't do anything about it. So she was I feel really, like that's not true. Um in instances, it is. Okay. In, in, in certain instances. When it comes to me, not at all. Yeah, gonna, so when it comes to me, she'll totally come after me. When it comes to strangers, maybe not. So the lady, this lady was going to cut her off and go in front of her. She was going to let it happen. And the man behind her rolled down his window and screamed at the woman, What are you doing? It's her turn. Don't be a D. Let her through. Woo! And, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, that's a Steve Cofield move. I feel like Cofield would take up for the innocence in front of him in a drive through line. And yeah. you know what happened? The lady acquiesced. She let, really? she let Isabel through. Now, my first question, uh, was the guy just trying to, you know. Maybe. All right. There's okay. a possibility. Although, these are heavily tinted windows, so he probably didn't see the two kids in the back. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, maybe he just saw my wife and sure. thought he would score some brownie points. Sure. With, sure. you know, the chick in the red car. He's like, if you ever right. need any, any assistance in a drive-thru again, my here's you. my number. <laughs> I mean, that's a good possibility. Sure. Or maybe he's a frequenter of drive throughs and he's been burned so many times that he's like, no, I feel, I'm not going to let this happen this I feel time. like I would do it. You would what? Be what he, do what he did. You would not roll down. Steve, come on, back me up. This Adam would not roll down Not for myself. And scream at somebody. Not for myself, but for others. I'm a very much a rule. I'll, I'll tell you what I do, and I've talked about this before on the show. If there's a place where 
there's you know there's a line of traffic and everybody's trying to merge together and then you get the people that go off the side and try to merge in like zoom by everybody i pull off and block that it's very passive aggressive way to do it he does do that yeah so you believe adam would roll down his window and say hey don't be a d let her through would you do it to a female driver? Because that's what happened here. It's one thing to do it to a guy. Would you do it to a female yeah. driver? I think that's that's the big thing. It, that's tough, tough spot. Tough that's spot tough. with Karen's real tough spot. Yeah. I think there's an age thing, though, right? Like, if it's an older woman who is cutting off somebody, like, the older they get, I think the easier it is to yell at them. Yeah. I, <laughs> what, what does that even I think mean? so, too. Yeah. If she's, mean, if she's over 80, I'm screaming. <laughs> I mean, like, if you're talking like 50 or older, I'm getting more comfortable as the years go along. Yeah, screaming she, can't, at you. she can't hurt me. And then as the older it gets, the insult gets different. What are you driving for? <laughs> Bingo halls that way. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how old Jeff Grammer is, uh, but we'll ask Jeff about <laughs> okay, this on okay. the other side. And also, I mean, I feel – no, I'm not going to say it. I was going to make an assumption. It's not very nice of me. So we'll just talk to Jeff about his drive. I have Jeff to ask about a bad beat, too. Okay, all right. Yeah. Jeff Grammer, Albuquerque Journal, is going to join us next year at Cofield & Company. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar at TI. So we're hanging. Steve Cofield's out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, running the Rebels, of course, on the road, taking on Los Lobos. Let's bring in Jeff Grammer, writer for the Albuquerque Journal. Does a great job in covering New Mexico. But, Jeff, before we get to basketball, we have an important life question for you. Uh, my wife was actually just recently involved in an altercation in, we'll call it, a burger joint drive through the Golden Arches, where somebody had to defend her. I've never been to New Mexico. I, I expect it's like a, a wasteland, and there's nothing out there that <laughs> sure. I'm familiar with. Um, do you have dual drive throughs in New Mexico? Because she was caught up in one of those where it was her turn, the other person went, and a white knight had to come to her defense. Do you have proper etiquette in drive throughs Jeff, or are you just a madman? Oh, I'm a madman. I'll, I'll just <laughs> cut off. No, actually, to be honest, the dual drive through thing is something that's really putting a strain on this entire society because <laughs> I think you're supposed to stay in one lane until you get close, right? And then you're supposed to kind of split off. And, and now you got, like, the dual lane thing where some people start that second lane, you know, all the way at the entrance to the restaurant. So you got two lanes that are clogging up the entire, the entire parking lot. And I have never gone through one of those dual lane things where I think I'm doing it the right way. I've never, I can't go through them anymore without getting mad at people and like just road raging in my own mind. I don't ever even like tap my horn in traffic. Like I get so mad at people, but I don't ever actually do anything about it. But those dual lane things, they're, they're going to, they're going to be a problem. Can I, can I also ask, I was thinking about this the other day, whatever happened to the first window at the drive-thru? Right? Like nowadays yeah, they, right? they, they, they build it. Like there's a brand new building. It's a, fa- a fast food place by my spot, Jeff. And they just built it. And they have, they built the first window. But it's blacked out, and it says, please advance to the other window. Like, why build it? And there's a permanent, yeah, a permanent sign that says advance to the next window. There are some places now that won't even give you your food at the, the window where you're supposed to get food. They just say go to the next window <laughs> because they want to keep their timer going. And, like, I think that's one person's job. They don't actually do anything other than say, okay, can you go to the next window? And it's, it's crazy. There's, like, some of these places now that have, like, seven windows. The first two don't work. The third one's to advance you to the fourth window. It, it's Life is life is getting out of control right now. 
we need to have some good stuff on this. We do want to get into how the Lobos basketball team is playing going into a uh, kind of a big game. But I actually have to go back uh, and ask you what on earth happened at the end of the Wyoming game because I'm sure you are aware that the number was one and a half. Uh, the final score got <laughs> sent out as New Mexico winning by a point. Then all of a sudden the game was restarted on all the apps. And then New Mexico misses two free throws, and the game's over. Still winning by one, not covering. But what happened there? It, it was, first of all, I, I couldn't understand the number, um, especially without, you know, Graham E.K. coming back for Wyoming, without another starting big that they didn't have playing Hunter Thompson, a starter, Kenny Foster, who's been out for a while and, and might be out the rest of the season. But, like, basically Wyoming, who hasn't been playing well, out three starters, and, and it was a one-and-a-half or two-point in some places – kind of number and and i didn't even understand that number well it turns out the number was pretty good and there at the end they yeah they they sure enough the their celebration on the court lobos are out there celebrating throwing the ball around thinking they they escaped the near upset and then they they nope let's let's uh let's go and play a little bit more and so they did and uh they they fouled josiah alec a lobo forward who who isn't a great free throw shooter but he's not a missed two free throws kind of guy i didn't think and sure enough he misses two free throws and Wyoming does get a, a last chance at it and didn't didn't work, but um, it, it was kind of chaos. The whole game was sort of uh, one of those Wyoming classic Wyoming games where it's not fun to watch. It's it's not aesthetically. Um, it, it just it, it was as ugly as the Lobos have looked all season long until three days later when they looked even worse on Tuesday night. So Jeff, I'm curious. I wanted to go big picture with you first. So uh, you know, for my main job over at Vsin, I, I wrote part of our college basketball guide that was in charge of the Mountain West. And I had, I had the Lobos as a top-four team in the Mount West, expecting them to be pretty good. Obviously, the 14-0 start before losing their first game to Fresno State the other day. From your expectations before the season started to where we're at now, how surprised are you by this start and just what you've seen from them up to this point? Yeah, so big picture, I picked them third preseason. I think everybody had San Diego State, Wyoming, one and two. And then I, I actually did think highly of this team. I thought they were going to be good. I didn't expect undefeated. I also didn't expect them to lose two of their um, better computer rating games, um, usually anyway, with New Mexico State, um, with the with the shooting that happened. So um, they they had a pretty weak overall strength of schedule, obviously, but they did lose two important games. Ended up replacing them with with two better games in a neutral court game with San Francisco that they won, and then they got one coming up Monday against Oral Roberts, which is going to be a fun one. Two six foot guards going against each other, Jalen House and Max Aismas. Um that's, that should be a fun one, and computer-wise, Matt, and, and whatever system you want to look at, those are those are two pretty good teams. So um, they they realized, like, they didn't even think they were going to be that good. That's why their schedule was what it was, and then they when they realized, wow, we have a couple games that we should try and fill with something. Let's try and at least get quad twos out of this, and, and so they found a couple quad two opportunities and did that. So I thought they'd be good. I never thought They'd go win at St. Mary's. I frankly, going into the season, never thought they would have won at SMU, but that was before we realized SMU was really, at least for five or six weeks, kind of a train wreck. Um, they might still be a little bit of a train wreck, but yeah, I, I, I didn't see it coming 14 to 0. Um, and then Tuesday night, I didn't see that being their first loss either. So um, they're they're impressive. They're I think the biggest thing I can tell you about why they've been so good is they added two big men, which is what they didn't have last year. But on top of that, Jamal Mashburn Jr. is a little bit better, and Jalen House is a lot better. Jalen House right now, and you can look up on like basketball reference, can can find players for you that have done this in the last, since 1992, I think you can find a player. 
I don't think there's a player in college basketball that has averaged .9 blocks and like 2.9 steals. Whatever his numbers are right now, there hasn't been one that's done what he's doing right now. He's at like five assists a game, 2.9 steals a game. He's av- he leads the team in blocked shots. Um, it's kind of crazy what he's doing defensively. Um, everyone watches his offense and his antics. But defensively, the guy is really changing games. He, he shut down Isaiah Stevens in the Colorado State win. Now, I don't know what that's going to mean long term. Maybe Colorado State's just not that good this year. But it, it was impressive to see. I haven't seen Isaiah Stevens have a game like he did against the Lobos in the pit last week. So a lot of reasons why they are much better than we thought. What has been the issue the last two games? Well, um, I think obviously some game film out on them. And they don't shoot threes a whole lot. They got one really good shooter in K.J. Jenkins. He did miss Tuesday. I still wouldn't have thought that would be the difference in the game. But um, they don't shoot three-pointers, like, at all. They just don't shoot them very often. And it's because they they really like what they're getting out of the paint, um, either with those two big men or with Mashburn, who is one of the last guys in college basketball that shoots mid-range jumper with not, not just regularity, but I think more than any shot on the floor you'll see Jamal Mashburn Jr. takes a mid-range jumper, and, and he hits it pretty regularly, too. So, And, and then Jalen House gets in the paint almost just at will, almost every possession. It seems like he touches the paint. So they've been scoring in the paint all year long, and the last four or five games, I'd say, was when they started. Really, the San Francisco game was the first game they really had trouble scoring in the paint when those two seven-footers for San Francisco took Morrissey Daisy out of the game really offensively, and Morris leads the league in, in field goal shooting. He's the, the starting center for the Lobos, the Wichita State transfer, and he leads the league in field goal percentage, but he's had a couple games where they looked awful where he shot like 3 of 10, and he shot like 2 of 9, and it's because once you can take him out, he hasn't had to pass out of the post all year, so he's kind of reluctant to do so. And now that he's starting to do that, their offense opens up a little bit more. He just didn't have to do that for the first dozen games or so because nobody could stop him down low. What's your evaluation of the Lobos as a rebounding team? Because obviously once they meet UNLV this weekend, that's going to be a, a very big thing. UNLV, of course, having trouble keeping teams off the offensive glass. How are they as a rebounding squad? They have one really, really good rebound. Well, two, two decent rebounders. I mean, Morrissey Daisy and Josiah Alec are both good rebounders. But Josiah Alec, is, he's from UMKC. He transferred over. He's got some long hair. People will see him dive on the court at least three times, four times a game, even when he doesn't have to sometimes. Um, he, he he works hard, and he's a very good rebounder. When he well, it, Most games, I think he's their best rebounder. Sometimes it's Morris, but um, I think they can be a really good rebounding team. They don't crash the offensive boards a whole lot. Um, part of that's because they've been shooting so well. Uh, you know, they... They don't have to, I guess. So they started backing off the offensive boards just because they actually have been finishing quite a bit. So it's going to be interesting because, yeah, that's one of those stats where you look at weakness versus strength or we just look at somebody's weakness and UNLV isn't going to be keeping anybody off the boards lately. I do think that that's partly because they're trying to get out and run, right? I mean, you guys know better than I. It's just that they can't keep anybody off the boards or is it because they're trying to get out and transition a little bit? Um, in, in either case, I do think the Lobos are probably going to rather – try and get back so they don't give up easy buckets because they've been kind of falling victim to that a little bit lately as well. So they might just be getting back and forget the offensive boards altogether. Jeff Grammer, good friend of the show and uh, denier of double drive through lanes. He's the, the hater of that right. for sure, as we all are. 
uh, from the Albuquerque Journal. You can check out his stuff. Um, it sounds like Jeff, the pit is back. Is that is that accurate? It is, man. Like so, last year they still had here um, not only a mask mandate but a vaccine mandate uh, going you know well into the season. They still had a vaccine mandate, so attendance wasn't really back the year before. You remember New Mexico didn't allow a single game the entire season um, in the state of New Mexico. So there was no basketball two years ago in the pit. Last year it was really limited between masks and vaccine mandates to even enter the pit. This year, with a little bit better team and people expected to be somewhat better, again, not 14-0, but people expected to be better. You thought it would pick up a little bit, and it started to. They might have got a, a sellout for that November 19th game against New Mexico had it, or New Mexico State had it not been – um, canceled obviously because of the shooting, um, but they probably would have been around fifteen thousand. But then it, that game got canceled, so you're back down to like nine thousand a game or ten thousand a game. Well, then the Iona game comes um, December nineteenth, and that was Rick Pitino versus Richard Pitino. That gets over fourteen thousand. It was a packed, felt like a packed kind of environment. It was a good game. Lobos win, so fans are excited. They keep winning. Then they get Colorado State to open up Mountain West to play. And that was the one that surprised me. That was the game between Christmas and New Year's. Campus is closed. There's no kids around, no students around. And, you know, they still get fourteen, five, or 15,000, actually, is what they got. They got about 15,000 people there for the first time since December of 2015. And now this UNLV game sold out by Monday, um, this past Monday. And it'll be the first sellout since March of 2015, which was Hugh Greenwood's senior night. And... Uh, it's bad, man. Like, they got to keep winning. I mean, fans are as fickle here as anywhere. So uh, I imagine they'll leave if, uh, if the Lobos start losing. But right now it's back, and it's been a while. All right, Jeff, we'll get you out of here on this. New Mexico four-and-a-half-point favorite tomorrow. What do you expect? Uh, they played two of their, I say, worst offensive games the last two. Um, Wyoming and, and Fresno State both really gave them problems. I think UNLV's strength of uh, turnovers, obviously, is something that UNM has been really good at. They've actually protected the ball really well. Jalen House is coming off his only really bad turnover game all season. He had a bunch of them last year. This year he's really only done it once, and it was Tuesday night. I think they'll take care of the ball. I think the Lobos will win. Four and a half is a big number, um, but I do think the Lobos win at home, and it'll probably be, if you're going to make me pick a side of that number, I'd probably, I guess I'll go with the Lobos at five and take it as about five or better. So uh, I guess I'll go with Lobos, that number, but that number is pretty high. Jeff Kramer, Albuquerque Journal. Jeff, thank you very much for the time, sir. Appreciate it. Take a picture with Steve on Saturday, all right? <laughs> will do. Thanks, guys. Right, you got it. Jeff Kramer, who will be at uh, – I, I, it's always going to be Wise Pies Arena to me. <laughs> that's, I think that's how we all feel. <laughs> right. And the, the pit. I, saw, I heard you say the pit. I was like, what is that? Wise Pies. Yeah, right. Wise Pies. I think it's what we always know. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the team that has really benefited from this new format uh, no. for the National Football League. No, they have not. The Kansas City Chiefs. Seren Petro joins us next.